Friends, I speak to you this morning in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. I see that all of you found your fog lights this morning, so well done in making it here safely. Yesterday, I was walking with my dog, Boo Radley, around Super Bowl Central with approximately 10,000 of our closest friends. And as I was negotiating the crowds with an absurdly social puppy, I could hear voices over loudspeakers. Assuming that it was announcements for upcoming stage acts or narrations of the contestants at the Tostitos Dip Scramble, I was momentarily taken aback by realizing that the voice was coming from a car with a sound system attached to the roof. And I watched a man reach out his hand and point to people in the crowd. I assumed that he was calling out various fans about their allegiances, because there wasn't just Seahawks and Patriots fans. There were Cowboys fans and Cardinals fans and Broncos fans and Colts fans. But instead, the passenger in the car was pointing to people and yelling, Have you turned from your idolatry? Have you turned from your fornication? Have you turned from adultery? Jesus Christ will not forgive you for your sins unless you turn to him right now. Know Christ and make him known. My immediate reaction was twofold. The first was, what would happen if somebody was converted by this? Where would they hold the altar call if they keep driving? But the second was a seething rage. My friend said, hey, you should talk to them. And I replied that I couldn't because I could read the headlines now. Local Episcopal priest berates drive-by evangelists yelling, God loves everybody, you idiots. (laughs) But the truth is, that watching these people yell at thousands of people about how awful they were and how God and Jesus were ashamed to know them and did not love them broke my heart. I felt rage and sorrow and, to be honest, shame that these voices carried over thousands People stopped to listen, and I watched them become still, process the words, and I saw their uneasy laughter, and sometimes I saw their eyes shift down and away. If I had my way, I would have shouted all sort of things. I could have taken a John the Baptist slant and screamed, you brood of vipers. Or tell me more about this God of yours who is vengeful and withholding and cruel, because that is not my God. Or what did Jesus say about love? But perhaps the most diplomatic take I could have tried would be, you hypocrites. I'm sure you've seen this at work, at work in your life and in the world. Maybe you felt anger or pain. Maybe you wanted to rebuke them. And maybe you took their words to heart. We all share the experience of someone presenting God to us from a particular angle. 
and our struggle, struggle to reconcile or reject that image as the God of our own understanding and experience. We wonder if we could be presented to this particular image of God and be found accepted or rejected. As the old adage goes, God created us in his image, and we've been returning the favor ever since. Who is the God that is presented to us, and what do we believe we present to God? These are the questions that people of faith have asked for thousands of years. Today we celebrate the Feast of Presentation, the Feast of the Presentation of Jesus in the Temple. Jesus came to be presented as a ritual sacrifice. The blessing of God made known in a firstborn son was that that firstborn son would be returned to service for the Lord. And along with their son, Joseph and Mary are bringing a prescribed sacrifice. They're carrying around a tangible symbol of their sins and their need for purification in two birds. And today the Holy Family encounters two faithful people in the temple— Simeon and Anna. We understand that Simeon and Anna are faithful people, and being faithful people at the temple means that they saw the same things over and over again. They watched people come out of the mikvahs, the ritual baths, with water pouring off them, ready to approach the Lord, having washed the dirt from their bodies, and mentally prepared for the dirt of their hearts and minds to be washed away as well. They watched people come with varying sacrifices of odd sizes, according to the penance needed for the carrier, sometimes as small as doves, and sometimes as large as a bull. They watched fires burn day and night on the altar. And through the incense, they watched all of it rising upwards towards the heavens, the thoughts and words and actions that took people away from their God and the people's efforts to recognize it and make some amends. And Simeon and Anna watched people pray and sing songs, or weep with fear, or scowl with disbelief and irritation. These two watched people prepare themselves to be presented to God, and watched people wait for God to present himself to them. Simeon had waited for the Lord to reveal the Messiah and knows it will happen before he dies. So he watches and prays and looks. Simeon's prayer is called the Song of Simeon, and it's compelling to think that a man waiting for a sign that signals his impending death upon seeing Jesus suddenly bursts out in song to the Lord. But Simeon sings of the glory being revealed to him and gives thanks for the promise it holds. Secure in the knowledge that in this child God will do great and mighty and heretofore unimaginable things, he goes over to Mary and Joseph. Simeon approaches them and blesses them, looks at Jesus and says, This child is destined for the rising and falling of many in Israel. And if that wasn't spooky enough, Simeon continues to say that Jesus will be opposed precisely because he exposes the inner thoughts of many. And this airing will be akin to the swipe of a sword, opening up and exposing everything and every soul. Jesus, Simeon prophesies, will level the playing field, 
so that each and every person is presented fully to God. And that revelation, all people are equal. How did this conversation end? Have a nice day at the temple. But then there's Anna, a literal pillar of the temple. Assuming generously that she got married at 20, Anna has been at the temple daily for 57 years, fasting and praying. She told everybody coming to the temple who desired the redemption of a whole nation about the child there today. I can't imagine what the parents of a 12-year-old felt when they heard these great things. And I really hope that they tried to fit all of it on a bumper sticker for the back of their wagon. Mary and Joseph beaming while a young Jesus wailed, Mom, this is so embarrassing. Just drop me off at the corner. But in all seriousness, this is the only story that we see in the Gospels of the Bible about Jesus between his birth and his public ministry as an adult. What we see is that at the most important place of worship, the place where people are coming to access God, faithful people are recognizing God's gifts within Jesus. Simeon sees revelation, and Anna sees redemption, and the person of this holy child among them. What does this mean for us? It pushes us to ask, who is the God that is presented to us in Jesus? And what do we believe that we present to him? What can our relationship possibly be? We discover, like the people in the temple, that God is presented to us most fully in Jesus. And we are presented with a God of revelation and redemption. Does it scare you to think that before God, all of your inner thoughts are revealed? It scares me. We live in a world obsessed with presentation. We alter our resumes to present ourselves as ideal employees. We share pictures and comments through social media to paint our lives as being exciting or cultured or dramatic when we may feel lacking or alone. We practice the belief that the more refined our appearance, the tidier our lawns, or the more immaculate our houses, will present a vision of ourselves to others that is ideal, if not sustainably authentic. The deep poison of hypocrisy is not that it falsely presents us to others. The deepest poison of hypocrisy is that it slowly destroys from the inside out our ability to be honest. And I'm not talking about the ability to be honest with others, although that is a danger. I'm talking about the ability to be honest with ourselves and with God. Hypocrisy creates within us the practice of living a lie. We create distance within us purposefully between who we are fully and who we would rather be. We create a separation between understanding who we are and begin to live in that seductive land of who we should be. Hypocrisy is right at the top of things that make Jesus so angry because it can be so destructive. The reality is is that it is terrifying that we're all we are and all we do and all we think and all we say is laid out before God. Because there is a voice, either taught or absorbed, 
that whispers or yells from a car window, you aren't enough, you are wrong. And we think about this kind of revelation, we associate that revelation of ourselves with God's retribution. But what we hear today from Anna and what we hear from God over and over, and what we see in the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that revelation, the presentation of our whole lives and whole selves to God, this revelation leads to redemption. When all righteousness and all sins are revealed before God, when we are presented with our whole selves, we can be assured that we are redeemed through Christ. In the temple, we discover in Jesus that God comes to reveal himself to us, for us to be revealed to God, and for us to live into the grace of being redeemed, being restored fully in relationship with God. And so Jesus is revealed to be the redemption of the world, And we participate in this truth by acknowledging ourselves without the veil of hypocrisy, unshrouded from the compulsion to be someone we are not, and reclaiming the truth that you and I are beloved, beloved children of God. This isn't easy. And the overwhelming grace of God is something we accept gratefully, if yet still reluctantly. Sometimes we feel that God's mind will be changed, and will be bereft and hopelessly alone. We hesitate to proclaim that God's redemption doesn't come from a place of retribution. Today, we hear this story of the presentation of Jesus in the temple instead of another one, the one established for this Sunday by the lectionary. It's from the Gospel of Mark, and it's also a story of the first time Jesus shows up in a temple. However, in Mark, it's the beginning of his ministry as an adult. Jesus is in the temple and recognized by his teaching and his ability to interpret the scriptures as a rabbi. But suddenly, a man with an unclean spirit calls out to challenge Jesus, naming him as the Holy One of God and predicting destruction. In this same way, Jesus is also revealed publicly as the Christ. He calls out the spirit, and the man is restored. There's nothing about Jesus blaming the man for having an unclean spirit, a condition believed not to be a person's fault, but certainly something that a person wouldn't advertise unless compelled to do so. Jesus' response is to immediately remove the obstacle between this man and himself. And we see that Jesus' first act of ministry is to act decisively in love, not retribution. The great act of revelation and redemption through Christ presents to us a God of unfathomable love. In this magnificent love, we understand grace and mercy and God's desire for us to respond with love to God and love to our neighbor. Can we be challenged to grow in this understanding and this presentation of God? Can we believe that when we are presented to God, he will recognize a lamb of his own flock and a sinner of his own redeeming? Can we try to live into the promise that God sees not what we present to each other or the falsehoods we present to ourselves, but instead sees all of us and says, you are my beloved, 
with whom I am well pleased. Some days we will believe that the God presented through a car's loudspeakers with a face and shadow and a pointing finger is the God that we deserve when we're revealed. It is the most poisonous hypocrisy we live to lie and say that our God is a God of retribution. God's everlasting purpose for us is to know redemption by the power and compulsion of love. One day long ago, the love of God incarnate walked into a temple to offer his life to God. And it would be some years later that he offered his life to God for us. Being revealed to Jesus and being revealed to God, recognizing our own redemption and reconciliation, we too can sing the song of Simeon. These eyes of mine have seen the Savior, whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations, and the glory of your people, Israel. Amen.